Hi, thank you for listening to Make History Dope Again. It's Ethan here, and I have a special quick take for you today. We want to peel back the curtain a little bit and examine a concept that you've probably or perhaps picked up on throughout our many episodes. The idea of American exceptionalism, what it is, why it matters, and how we see that being taught or not taught in American history. So stay tuned, and thank you for listening. Well, it's Ethan here from Make History Dope Again, and I'm coming to you with a quick take episode. I am recording all alone in my basement without Jonathan, without Andrew, and uh, that's okay. Um, I wanted to come at you guys, and I wanted to share this concept of American exceptionalism that maybe you've heard of. It's it's this idea that is so deeply embedded in uh the United States history and the way the history of America is taught. And we think it's very important, important enough that uh, I spent some time um, in my in grad school doing a little bit of research on it and the development of it um, in historiography, specifically how it evolved in the, the way the history of the American Revolution is told. You know, in this podcast, we've we've spoken often about the American Revolution because it's significant in, in terms of the origin of the country that probably we assume most of our listeners uh, uh, live within. And I know we do have some listeners outside of the United States. Hello to you guys. Thank you for listening. Um, we hope you're learning a lot. Um, but this is an idea that um, we need to grapple with. And the ideology of American exceptionalism is not new. Actually, it was Tocqueville back in the 19th century, among some others who used this term exceptional when referring to the United States. And this idea has just been so deeply woven in the fabric of American politics, American culture, and American history. We've just got to talk about it. American exceptionalism. Let's just break that down really quick. It says idea that the United States of America is an exception from everything else. All of the other countries in the world, specifically old Europe, all the other governments, all of the other peoples. America's different. We're built different, as the kids say today. And this idea really starts to, to, to take root um, in the early 19th century, as the United States is a young country, and we see the rapid growth of nationalism and national politics, we see revolutions occurring elsewhere in the world. And, and in France, there's revolutions in Latin America and other places. And there's this, this assertion that the United States, the revolution in America, 
and the independence that was sought after in the creation of this, this new political system uh, really is just going to set us, set the United States aside from the rest of the world for all time. And this idea that the United States is an exception to the world, it is just entirely unique and the rules don't apply. I bet you don't have to look far to see this concept alive and well in many minds today. So it must be deconstructed. We must talk about it in this quick tick episode. There's no way we're going to talk about all angles and facets of it. But what I want to do is this. I want to share with you, like I mentioned earlier, some of the research I've done specifically in terms of the way the American Revolution has been written about. As I just mentioned in the early history of the United States, the the independence was was taught as a very exceptional thing. Um, and in in many cases it was, and that's not wrong. But this exceptional thinking would not leave the American mind. And it was not until the the mid to late twentieth century and into the twenty first century where we start to see American historians push back against this idea of American exceptionalism. So I'm going to briefly just mention five different books on American history um, and talk about how through time these books, these historians have pushed back against this idea of American exceptionalism. And then we're going to end really uh, at the end. And I want to talk about why it matters today. So the first book I'd like to talk to you about is written by historian Bernard Balin. This is written in 1967. The name of the book, The Ideological Origins of the American Revolution. This book would actually win a Pulitzer Prize. Um, it was really a breakthrough American history book in, the, in terms of the way the American Revolution was taught. Um, Balin, a, an experienced historian himself from, from Harvard, um, really did some amazing work in this book. And um, among some of the main ideas here is, is con- he was convinced, Balin is convinced that the fear of conspiracy was at the heart of the revolution. And he sets out to prove that the American revolution was a result of some ideological transformation of the colonists. And it wasn't just about class struggle. Now, I'm willing to bet most common Americans in the education we receive in school, on History Channel, or wherever else, it's this idea that you just have the poor, oppressed American colonist being oppressed by the British. And this this idea of almost just a class struggle that we've got to gain independence or we won't be able to rise. But there are other factors there. That simply had been ignored. Bernard Balin sets in and wants to find out what is really driving these American colonists to a revolution. You know, in his research in in this book, Balin claims it was the uh, the common belief in conspiracy against liberty from the British tyrannical empire that ultimately accelerates the opposition movement in America. This idea that the common American colonists, maybe some of the more radicalized colonists, truly believed 
Britain was seeking to strip them of liberty. And this fits right in line with the story of American exceptionalism, the story of why the American Revolution occurred. Balin then suggests that it is this confidence in a conspiracy that ends up reshaping the mind of the colonists. It transforms their, percep their perceptions of how representation should work and consent should work. It changes their perceptions of constitutions and rights and sovereignty, and ultimately develops the Republican mindset. And mind you, not Republican in the sense of the Republican Party today, but the Republican concept. And this is where, in 1967, Balin publishes this book and sets it on the seed. And really, this is the first major pushback against the, the narrative of the, the United States Revolution, the American Revolution, was simply a revolution of class struggle, of poor, oppressed Americans fighting for liberty. He digs in, and he looks at how conspiracies had such an effect on American colonists to push them towards radicalization. I believe perhaps there are some modern modern day equivalencies you can think of. Let's time travel to 1992. Hey, that's a good year. Gordon S. Wood. Gordon S. Wood, a prolific historian, actually a student of Bernard Balin. He's going to write a book, The Radicalism of the American Revolution, and he's going to expound on Balin's, uh, Bernard Balin's research. Um, what Gordon S. Wood is going to do in this book is he is going to uh, insist that the American Revolution, this was more than an intellectual debate over constitutional rights. I, I bet we've seen the schoolhouse rock or we've seen the, 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 those horrible history documentaries where we learn about American independence and we see the quote unquote founding fathers. And it's always fathers, founding fathers in a room debating, writing letters. And that's how it got done. That's a common idea of the American revolution. Well, Wood goes into this. And he says it's more than this that's going on. He claims the seemingly political language that we see from American colonists written during the 18th century during this time really had deeper ideological and social nuances. And he relates those back to the conspiracies that that Bernard Balin was, was discussing of how Britain, there's this belief that Britain was trying to rob people of liberty. Overall, Gordon S. Wood, he follows in the footsteps of his mentor, Balin, and he firmly establishes the role of radicalism at the heart of the American Revolution. The heart of the American Revolution is radicalism. Radicalism. We're going to fast forward now to 2010. And one of my favorite historians here, T.H. Breen, uh, wrote a book called American Insurgents, American Patriots, The Revolution of the People. In this book, T.H. Breen builds on the thesis of Gordon S. Wood's work, The Ideological Origins of the American Revolution. 
And he does this in a, in a very great way. He takes these, the thesis that, uh, of Gordon S. Wood and, and really by extension, Bernard Balin, and he does some deep research and he provides the stories. He finds the accounts of ordinary American colonists who chose to act in accordance with these radical ideas. They chose to act on these beliefs of conspiracy. With the the revolutionary ideologies already impressed in American history by, by Balin and Wood, T.H. Breen brought to life what happened on the ground during the American Revolution. And he described the efforts of American insurgents pushing loyalists out of the countryside. And he states this. This is a great quote. He says, we, talking about Americans, we fail to see our origins in insurgency. And we regard insurgency as a foreign concept. And I think this is a really important word and idea to build on our knowledge and our understanding of the American Revolution. Insurgency. This is how Breen starts to, to differ from his predecessors, Balin and Wood, because he challenges the status quo of exceptionalism by applying previously unused foreign concepts to our own revolutionary history. Prior to this, there had not been many people, at least that I know of, that had referred to the American Revolution as an insurgency. Um, perhaps the British, at least, <laughs> but not within the United States and United States history. Within Breen's work, we also begin to see a divergence from the classic story of American independence that was led by the founding fathers and other intellectuals. We see more of a populist American history uh, to be seen. The roots of populism go back to the very beginning of America, reminding readers today that the, the global populist revolutions that would occur after the American Revolution have connections and are related. You know, another historian that's worth noting here in another book that I looked at, this book was published in 2013 by Rosemary Zagari, and it's called The Rights of Women. And again, let's connect this, the common narrative of the American Revolution um, that fits in with that American exceptionalism narrative is that the United States had founding fathers, <laughs> and we've all heard that. It's time we've stopped saying that. And this is what Zagari does. You know, what had often happened in the American, in the history of the American Revolution is that most Social minority groups were just totally left out. So Zagari, she gives special note to women, specifically white women that were involved, and how the revolution would give them confidence and political experience. Zagari notes that the rights for white women were directly connected to the debate concerning rights for working class white men and uh, enslaved Blacks. She gives special regard to the involvement of women involved in the American Revolution and how the American Revolution ultimately 
gives women more responsibility and confidence in their daily lives, especially compared to women in Europe at the time. And it ends up resulting in a political awakening for white women in the American colonies, where women were begun to see, be seen as political beings with the power to influence war, politics, and history. And I think one of the best figures I can think of to represent this idea at the time is Abigail Adams, who writes to her husband, John Adams, when he's going to go help create the Constitution. She says, don't forget the ladies. She says, remember the ladies. Remember the ladies. And basically, John Adams replies, LOL, like he scoffs. (laughs) But we aren't taught about this. This is a part of the uh, exceptionalism narrative, the American Revolution narrative we often hear. The fight for women's rights didn't happen until at least Seneca Falls, but into the you know into the early 20th century. That's simply not true. In the American Revolution, we see women advocating for their own political and social rights. We see an awakening occur. occur. You know, Zagari in this book, um, pushing back against American exceptionalism, you know, she says there's a fundamental contradiction in post-revolutionary America. The war was fought upon the principle of equality and natural rights, and yet these rights were denied to blacks, women, and others after the war. So Zagari works within the paradigm of women's and gender history to give a distinct take on the American Revolution that we ought to stop and take notice of and and incorporate into the broader narrative. I want to turn uh, our attention to one final book, one final historian here who has really helped uh, shift the uh, the narrative of the American Revolution. And this this historian's name is Alan Taylor. He wrote a book in 2016 called American Revolutions, A Continental History. And just by the title, you already see the pushback against exceptionalism. We see a connection to the entire continent there. You know, he, he, again, he's following kind of in the footsteps of these other historians and, and building on this narrative that's really expounding on what was the American Revolution really? How did it impact people? Taylor wants to pay special attention to how did it affect other peoples in other places, not just America. He interprets the American Revolution through the larger context of pan-continental relations. Taylor didn't refer to the revolution as a rebellion or insurgency, but rather he claimed the war. It was the, uh, it was the first civil war of the North American colonies and, and more to come more that would take place after. And Taylor focuses his argument in the book on the myth of the American revolution being fought by a united American people. And I think this is part of that exceptionalism that we often believe and that we're often taught that you had a united American people against the British. He navigates the uh, this colonial civil war as a conflict between the revolutionaries in British empire with most civilians being neutral or often switching sides. Patriots and Brits alike would rally for support from enslaved people, bandits, 
and Native Americans. So if Bernard Balin and Gordon S. Wood and T.H. Breen, if they shrunk the scope of the revolution by focusing on radicalism in the 1770s and kind of pre-revolutionary era, Rosemary Zagari and Alan Taylor would broaden the landscape of the American Revolution by looking at other people, other social groups, and even other areas of the world, providing a perspective that's more holistic and balanced, providing more balanced historical interpretation. So why does this matter? Let's take a step back. Why, why, why am I taking the time to record this quick take episode to talk about American exceptionalism and talk about how that's been uh, changed in American history through these historians? You know, exceptionalism, this idea that America is exceptional, and populism, populism, these concepts still live strong within American society today. And if you are aware of that, look around, look at the news, look around your community. It is there. It is there. Many historians within recent decades have pushed the boundaries of American history to become more inclusive of various people groups. Also, that's given the American revolutionary story the space to include other social sciences. And we see more fields like environmentalism, ecological history, and Atlantic history are all converging to help tell a broader story, sociology even as well. So this is, listen to this, the future of American history, specifically the narrative of the American Revolution, it relies upon historians like Breen, Zagari, Taylor, and Wood, and Balin to push back against populist views and allow for deeper global connections. The American Revolution is not taught, it's, it's, it's not our history alone. It's a history belonging to many people groups with global connections. It's a political history of our ideologies, our transformation, and our own radicalism. It is a social history of conflict, uprising, and exclusion. It is a natural history of geography and demographic shifts. It's a story for a worldwide humanity. It's human history. It's our history. And this is why it matters. Thank you for listening to another episode of Make History Dope Again. If you haven't followed us on social media, please do. We have a Facebook page. Just look for Make History Dope Again. Dope Again. <laughs> and we also have our Instagram, our IG uh, ran by the guy, Andrew. Uh, he runs that like a boss. He's he's posting on there a lot of great stuff about history, history today, uh, reminders about episodes that are dropping, reminders about uh, any new merch that we have coming out. Please follow us on social media and engage with us. Let us know what you think. Send us messages. Give us, uh, give us your reviews. Give us your thoughts. If you disagree, please disagree. We want to hear your thoughts. We want to have dialogue. Thank you for supporting us. Thank you for helping make history dope again.